Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. So happy to have you guys tune in again. Thank you so much for carving out some time for the podcast. Mike and I are always humbled, thankful, and, and just really honored to have you guys put aside some time during your busy weeks to you know, plug in some college basketball knowledge. And that's what we're here to do is to plug you into what's happening on the college basketball landscape. So so thank you, listeners out there. I've got Gus Kearns here today for a solo ride. Catch you up on what happened in the ACC Big Ten Showdown. We're going to catch up on a couple other basketball games. We're going to catch up, catch up on a couple other pieces of news. And Mike will hit you up later on this weekend. We're going to divide and conquer, as we like to say. So that ACC Big Ten Showdown was on the airwaves. First thing to take a look at, how about that UNC victory over Michigan, right? UNC wins it uh, 86-71 over Michigan. Tight game in the first half. UNC pulls away second half. You know, Mike Randall really loves to say and and, and revisit the, the Mark Twain Euro story where he goes on and says, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. The reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. Back-to-back championship game Tar Heels are still here, and they're still a factor. I think they tie perfectly into Mike Randall's quote there. Yeah, the reports of their demise are greatly exaggerated as well. All y'all that placed the UNC down in your top 25, doesn't that just look silly right now? The lineup of a healthy Berry, Williams, Pinson, May, and Brooks really works, and it works really well. Barry's healthy. He's the engine, the soul, the pulse, and the identity of this team. Williams just might be the best NBA prospect on the whole entire team on the wing. Uh, he's playing really well. He had a great first half. Pinson is part playmaker, part defender, part undersized four, and he's all parts selfless. Exactly the type of player that you need to have on a successful college basketball team. How about May? Isn't May just a stud right now? I mean, he's in the conversation for first-team All-American and maybe even player of the year. Let that sink in. Go ahead. First-team All-American and player of the year? Yeah. Yeah, the former uh, pay-as-you-play walk-on um, that paid his way freshman year, stayed in school, learned from his superior coaching, and now has a name that everybody recognizes and everybody will know. Uh, once the ACC gets rolling, just listen in when you tune into ESPN, CBS, or Fox. Everybody's going to be talking. Luke May, very excited. Brooks is just what every UNC fan wished for. One of those freshman bigs that matter 
and is going to be impactful. So he's playing a gigantic role as well. Uh, you know, my, my co-host, Mike Randall, might be rethinking his uh, Michigan, Michigan backing and support here uh, after this uh, poor second half showing. Um, so UNC taking out Michigan in the second half. One of my darlings, the Purdue Boilermakers, take down Louisville 66-57. Uh, it's close throughout. Shots are contested. Made baskets are really valued. It's just what you thought coming into this thing between these two particular teams. You knew that it was going to be a defensive-minded game and nobody was going to put up a ton of points. Hello, VJ King. So happy he's finding opportunities to score and do his thing. Just glad that Louisville is acknowledging that he is an, a singular talent on the wing and letting him like get some touches and have some possessions that matter. You know what? If Vince Edwards ever stays out of foul trouble, he just might improve on his averages of 15 points a game and seven boards a game numbers. I know I put him on one of my All-American teams and he's not living up to that now. But it seems like every time we check the box score or we flip on the game, Vince Edward is on the bench with foul trouble. It just seems like that's the, that's his M.O. If he ever can get that straightened out, he actually might put up really decent numbers across the board. And by the way, Carson Edwards is just a plain-out stud. He shot awful here in this game. He went 2 for 11, but he still impacted the game in a positive fashion. Kind of love this guy. Love what he brings to the table. I really think Carson Edwards is a player to pay attention to moving forward for Purdue, and he just might be that difference maker for them, along with a bunch of the other wing players and shooters that they have surrounding Edwards, Haas, and Carson Edwards running the point. And you know what I took away from Louisville? I took away from Louisville that if Quentin Snyder is just going to be average on a road, you know, in a road game, in a, in a fairly big game, and he had three, six, and five, then Louisville is going to be average, just like they were. Love the guy as a college player, but he has got to be better if Louisville has any dreams of being great. Quint Snyder has to be better than three, six, and five. Purdue's kind of back on track. I'm hopping back on the train, not that I ever got off. And Louisville, I think, is still a smidgen suspect here. I think that we can still have our feelers out on them to see if they have it figured out, to see if David Patchett has those guys playing the right way and to see if their roles are defined and they're buying into the system. I think it's a legit question mark next to their team, and I don't think that uh, that question mark is going to be moved anywhere uh, until we see some sustained uh, success and maybe just some sustained uh, fluency from them as a team. So Purdue taking out Louisville 66-57. Florida State Rutgers, a little bit of a saucy game here. Florida State pulls out the win in New Jersey, uh, 78-72. Three takeaways from this are Rutgers is going to sneak a few of these Big Ten wins, aren't they? If we got a team coming into the rack this season and, and they slow it down and muck it up and you know the lesser variance with fewer possessions type game that they play is going gonna, is gonna to take place, guess what? They're going to sneak out a couple of these games. So, you know, buyer beware with Rutgers if you're visiting the rack uh, in the Big Ten later on this season. They're, they're going to take one of these games. Somebody's going to get surprised there. I mean, if you remember, you go back like maybe, I, I don't know, three or four years, and you remember when Wisconsin came in, and they didn't have Frank Kaminsky that particular game, but Rutgers won that game against a highly ranked Wisconsin team. Uh, I know that the, you know, the, the cast of characters was a little different, 
but I think that the I think that the mo is still the same here. Uh, I think Rutgers is going to be dangerous, and I think Pike, Coach Peichel has things moving in the proper direction. I think we're going to pull for a day when RU matters in hoops again. Uh, Mike and I can clearly say, and and I think that you know we we've kind of dated ourselves on the podcast with a couple of the references that we've had. We've never seen it in our lifetimes, and we hope that Coach Peichel and Rutgers like puts something on the map that is tangible and like makes me go to the rack to watch a game in person. That would be really cool. So kind of rooting for Rutgers to do that. But Florida State, great win on the road in a muck it up type game. And Rutgers is going to win one of these games or a couple of these games in the Big Ten. How about we take a look at Georgia Tech and Northwestern? Talk about low possessions and and low variance. Uh, Georgia Tech pulls it out 52-51. Tough loss for Northwestern. Three quick takeaways from this. Uh, Ben Lammers is good enough to win a game by himself. I mean, we, we, we don't need many other people on the roster. The Coelacanth is going to be an M, on an NBA roster sometime uh, whenever he decides to go there. He's big enough. He's skilled enough. He kind of won this game by himself. He didn't have to do much to do it because of the low-scoring game and the low, low uh, amount of possessions. Northwestern is already on the fence for getting back to the dance. Oh, man. You know what? Last takeaway? That, that, that's okay. And you know what? Everybody else needs to be okay with that. It's all right that Northwestern is on the fence to get back. It's not a gimme that they were going to get there anyway. Let's enjoy the the, the the beautiful, like, romantical story that they won and got there last year and, and broke their longstanding curse and actually won a game and gave Gonzaga all that they could handle in that second round. You know, if they don't make it this year, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. I mean, they're going to have to do some work now in the Big Ten. They do have some opportunities. They have a game against Valpo coming up. And... So there are some other further opportunities for them to take advantage during uh, the non-conference season. But to be honest, like they're going to have to win some of these games. They're going to have to grab a game against Minnesota or uh, Purdue or maybe even Michigan State. Like they're going to have to grab one of those big games in the Big Ten to make up for some of these missteps that they've had uh, along the way in the early season. So Georgia Tech takes down Northwestern 52-51. And I think another game we have to pay attention to is how about uh, Minnesota and Miami? I, I, there was a lot coming into this game. Both teams, you know, ranked in the top 15-ish, depending on what rankings you're going to use. So, they're, they're, you know, there are very low numbers uh, next to both of these teams coming in. Miami takes down Minnesota on the road, 86-81. And I think the biggest thing I took away from this game is, I mean, if you watched a little bit of this game, didn't you think there was just a little too much Isaiah Washington for the Gophers? Just like just a smidgen too much. He had just a little too much ownership on this game. And I think that was the difference. And that's what gave Miami the victory here. I, I felt like he didn't shoot it well enough from the field to have that much ownership. And you know what I, you know what I parallel this to? We parallel this to the uh, J.P. Mercura situation last year for Xavier. When Sumner went down and and they were kind of searching for a solution at point guard and they throw Gooden in and, and then like, you know, Blewett tries to do a couple of things and then Mercura just tries to like take a zillion shots basically. And that took them a little while to figure out. So I felt like Mercura had a little too much ownership and, and, and just he had too much responsibility on that team and that's why that team struggled going into the tournament. But once they got they got it figured out, so they go on this elite eight run and then lose to eventual championship game uh, participant Gonzaga in the elite eight. So 
if you're Minnesota, I don't think this is the end of the world. I think you just like let's prescribe maybe a lesser role and maybe a few less touches for Isaiah Washington and maybe have some of those touches go to the stellar backcourt that he's playing with with Mason and Coffee. I don't think that's like totally uh, I don't think that's totally outlandish and I think that makes perfect sense. This was like kind of a fantastic game and can you see these two guys two two teams again playing in the Sweet 16 in March? I totally could. And you know what? Keep an eye on uh, Jaquan Newton. Jaquan Newton did a decent job running things here. He had nine dimes and only one turnover. And if you're Miami on the road, that totally works. So Miami, like one of the signature wins for the ACC in this Big Ten ACC showdown, really impressed with them. And then I think we got to touch on Duke and Indiana a little bit too, right? I mean, Indiana played very game the entire game, very tight first half. Five minutes to go, this was still a game. Uh, and Duke actually pulls it out and covers, like with some foul shots and, and, and shots in the end. 91-81 in Indiana. So great win for Duke. Great showing for Indiana. Kind of impressed on both sides here. It's one of these games where I think, you know, both teams can take something from it. Duke wins a, a road game in, in a kind of hostile environment. And Indiana plays really well against the number one ranked team in the country, coming in with zero expectation. So I think uh, both teams can kind of take a little positive from this game. Really what we're going to take from this game. So Marvin Bagley's right at the top of the National Player of the Year list, right? I think if you're making a list of National Players of the Year and you don't include him, I, I don't know if your, your list is really, uh, I, don't, I don't know if your list is complete. He's averaging 22 points a game. He's averaging 11 boards a game. I, I think if you're paying attention to things and you're watching things properly, yeah, Bagley's insane. He's 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 he does stuff in the post. Uh, he can shoot it from deep. He has a decent handle. Uh, he's a willing passer from the post. He's a great rebounder, and he's doing this all as a freshman with other freshmen around him, which makes it all the more impressive. I think Duval continues to impress with the, like his freaky athletic bursts. I, I feel like every game that we watch of 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 Duval. He does something that's like completely unique athletically. And you're like, whoa, holy smokes. I didn't know that he could do that. Or I didn't know any player in the nation could do that. So I feel like Duval continues to amaze us with those little freaky athletic bursts. Really impressed by him. And Allen is coming, is back to playing some efficient ball. He's not reaching for shots. He's not reaching for touches. He's actually being a decent teammate. Uh, he, he, he's kind of being a great leader in, in most of the post game stuff that we've seen. He said kind of the right thing every single time. So I think Allen is actually playing a perfect role here. Like we kind of talked about on previous podcasts, Mike and I have said, like, if Bagley and some of these freshmen are going to, you know, be at the top shelf and be like one A and one B and Allen is like one C, that takes a little pressure off of him. And he doesn't have to be the guy every single night. Is he going to have nights where he goes off for 37 like he did earlier? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Like, he'll probably have a couple of more of those games in ACC play, for sure. Especially especially at Duke, especially at Cameron. But is, does he need to do that every night? No, because you know what? Bagley's going to put up his numbers every night. Guess what? Gary Trent's going to go for some numbers every a couple of nights. Guess what? Wendell Carter's going to put up a double-double every now and then. And guess what? Duval's going to hit a couple threes one game, and then he's going to put up 25 and 10. So Allen is kind of in a comfortable spot where if he has a great game, awesome. He gets the spotlight. 
he gets the interview at the end of the game. But guess what? If he has 17 on an efficient uh, shooting night, that helps Duke too. And you know what? Let's just give Indy a little shine here. You know what? Indy shot at over 50% from the field. The downside is they only shot at about 20% from three, and they shot at around 60% from the line. So, I mean, you can't fault their effort. Uh, I think you can I think you can find, you know, poke holes in like their execution in certain situations, especially from three and from the foul line. Coach Miller's going to have him competing at a high level all season. So all is not lost for the Hoosiers. And I think if, you know, as we're recording this, we had a couple of other things happening. So I'll just talk off of that really quickly. Um, you know, Michigan State and Notre Dame, Michigan State ends up winning that game by a fairly large margin. And you kind of knew going into the Michigan State-Notre Dame game, the bigs and the length of Michigan State would provide a problem for Notre Dame. Because if you look at Notre Dame's two best players, or three best players, if you want to include TJ Gibbs in that, we have Colson, uh, we have Farrell, and Gibbs. And then if you look at who they're going to be matched up against with Michigan State, whoever they're going to be matched up against is longer, uh, maybe not stronger, because Colson... Farrell and Gibbs are, 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 are three stout dudes. But the length, I think, of Michigan State was going to bother Notre Dame on all fronts. And I think that's what it really got down to is, and I think Notre Dame's going to run into that problem again. If they run into another team down the line, maybe like a Duke or maybe like a Kentucky that's really long, if they run into another team with length and height, not necessarily strength or speed, I think that's going to give them problems because they're three best players are not they you know they don't have like the the quote unquote wingspan that other or height or length that other teams do. Uh you know Colson is is 66 tops, Farrell is is you know is a generous uh 63 and Gibbs is in the same neighborhood as as Farrell, uh, maybe even a little slighter as far as height wise. So if you're going to match up against people that are 7 foot, 65 and 64, then Every single shot that you're going to take is going to be contested. So I think going into this matchup, you kind of felt that Michigan State, more than anything else, their length was going to win out. And I think that's kind of the story kind of kept to the script there. So not really surprised by that. I just thought maybe it would be a slightly closer margin than it was. I think Notre Dame was still kind of riding high from that Wichita State game. And keep in mind, too, I mean, Mike and I talked about this last year on the podcast. Like all of these holiday-ish type games, whether it be around uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, they always have this like odd feel to them, right? Where where the kids are not in school and they're not in their regular rhythm and there might be something a little off. So maybe Notre Dame, after all the travel and going to Thanksgiving, was still trying to find their way. And I bet their next game out, they're going to be a little bit more sound. So I think that makes sense. So that's something to keep an eye on too. Like when you're, you know, if you're, if, if you are going to play some lines or something like that, these games around the holidays are always tricky to figure out simply because you're asking like 19 and 20 year olds that are off their schedule to be better than they are normally when they on, they're on their schedule of like taking classes and having normal practice times instead of traveling around and having breaks during the season. So it, I just feel like it's always tricky. Let's chat about a couple of other things really quickly. Um, how about we take a quick look at the uh, you know the Mountain West and the Valley uh, showdown? Uh, we'll take a look at a couple of games there because we don't want to ignore that. How about Missouri State and Colorado State? Missouri State takes down Colorado State 77-67. Missouri State's just good. They won this game with nothing. Zero 
literally zero from the preseason Valley Player of the Year, Azalees Johnson. He had zero points and four fouls. And Missouri State was still able to get this win. That is unbelievable. The Bears are good enough to win the Valley and win a game in March. We're saying it right now. Colorado State needs to step up and be a little bit more efficient. You know what? Nixon, he he's their guy. And if they're going to take the next step, then he's got to be a little bit more efficient than uh, two from 11 from three. That's just not going to cut it. So I think that's my little takeaway from this game. The fact that Missouri State won it with nothing from Johnson and that uh, Nixon for Colorado State was just a little too giddy from three and just wasn't efficient enough for that for that team to make a difference there. Valpo gets a win over Utah State. Valpo wins 72-67. Uh, I'm sorry, 72-65. Uh, and this one's simple to me. Like, no Kobe McEwen means no shot for Utah State. The stud wing was out, and that was kind of the difference in the game. Trayvon Walker is still a stud for Valpo. He put up giant numbers again. The 6-2 guard put up 20 five points and uh, put a 25 and nine in only 30 minutes for the Crusaders. Love when seniors ball out. Gotta love when your senior guard just goes off in a big game. Great win for Valpo. Utah State needs uh, McEwen back for them to be solid. So if he gets back into the lineup, they're dangerous again. But until that happens, I think they're going to be questionable and run into a lot of results that are very similar to this one. Guys, you know where I'm going next. It's Nevada and, and Illinois State. Nevada takes this big showdown, 98-68. to 68. Yeah, that's real in Reno, folks. This Wolfpack is not just like me, Gus, blowing smoke about a team he really likes or really favors. This team's legit. Caleb Martin, almost at 20 points a game, with kind of insane shooting numbers to go with it. He's shooting 56% from the field. He's shooting 51% from three. The guy's being unbelievably efficient. His brother Cody Martin is helping run the show with almost four dimes a game. His defense—he is a defensive terror right now. With he's got over two steals a game and over two blocks a game. Talk about knowing your role. Both of these guys know their role and they're doing it unbelievably well and excelling in those roles. Again, Coach Musselman setting it up so these guys can have success in their areas. And one of our favorites, Jordan Caroline, he's shooting the three much better this year. He's at a 38% clip right now, and he's averaging 17 points and over eight boards a game. So he is still doing his thing. The fact that they have that triumphant of players that are all like 6'7", 6'8", and can do anything on the court at any time, wherever the mismatch is, Coach Musselman is going to go to it. They have very solid, long talent all over the floor to help out with Hall and Drew and Stevens, Cook and Foster. Like, they have players that are going to take up space and put in buckets. They are top 25 good, enough said on Nevada. Even though this wasn't in like a matchup game, I think we still kind of need to pay attention to the Xavier Baylor game. That Xavier Baylor game, uh, two ranked teams. I really like Xavier. You know, Mike picked uh, Baylor to go to the Final Four last year. I picked Xavier to go to the Final Four this year. Baylor, obviously a little down with no Motley, but they're still legit with Jolo and Manolakam. Um, and Terry Masson. So they, they, they are still a, a very dangerous team. But when push came to shove, Xavier pulls out the win here. And you know what I took from this game? Like when your team beats another ranked team without a huge game from your stud, and Trayvon Blewett obviously is Xavier's stud, then things are okay again for X. You know, everybody kind of jumped off the bandwagon after they got blown out of this Arizona State game. They gave up 100 points. Like, sometimes these games have these quirky, like, anomalies 
where around the holidays, the kids aren't in their schedule. They're playing in like a different state and sometimes even like a different country. You know, they may be a little bit out of their element. So I, I think every team is due for one of these blips on the radar. And maybe that was Xavier's. Um, J.B. Mercura did his thing. He created space and odd angles. Um, that's what he does on his drives. Gooden took amazing care of the ball. He had zero turnovers. Uh, and the usually stout Baylor D. Uh, Gates showed out in a big way from three and did a great job on defense. And you know what the other thing, too, here is? Cantor did some nice things inside again. And this was against, like, the Baylor bigs. Like, Baylor has some good bigs inside, and Cantor was able to get some work done in there. And this is something that might be huge later for Xavier. If you can have a high-quality big play complementary to your perimeter greatness, which is, like, what Baylor had, uh, which is what Xavier has, then I think you're really doing something. Let's not give up on the Bears, though. Let's hope that Maston heals up uh, after his injury because he was having a great game in Xavier and just having a great season overall. So we're hoping, you know... A screen to screener always holds hope very dearly. So you hope that Maston heals up quickly and comes back and is able to play this season. You know, I'm still on the Xavier Final Four bandwagon. It's nice to see them respond. And it's nice to see the coaching staff um, respond and get the team back on track after a subpar game against Arizona State. Super promising. Take a quick look at a couple things moving ahead, and then we'll we'll close up shop, and then. Uh, We'll let you guys enjoy the rest of the games and, and the, the rest of the college basketball week. Um, a couple of games that, uh, you know, Mike and I had highlighted very quickly, Seton Hall and Texas Tech. And that was kind of taking place as we're taping right here. So I'll just try to talk through it really quickly, even though some of it's still going on. I think Carrington is truly buying into this point guard role. Uh, he hasn't taken a ton of shots. He's averaging almost four and a half dimes a game. And his turnovers are way, way down. So much so that his turnover to assist ratio is about um, one to three, or our assist to turnover ratio is about three to one. That's phenomenal. If he can just up his field goal percentage, then I think the Seton Hall team is going to be really good. And if they pull out this win in Madison Square Garden against a really stout Texas Tech defensive team, be really impressive. And especially without a big, big, big game from Angel Delgado. I mean, he's having a be- he's having a beautiful game in the post, but he's not having a big board game. They don't they need a ton of points from him. And it's nice to see Desi Rodriguez kind of find his groove and find his position and his role defined on this team as like the go-to shooter. And plus, I think there's something crazy about having like two of your best players be lefties. I, I think Harrington and Desi being lefties is really intriguing. And that might give them some sort of slight advantage. So uh, we're hoping Seton Hall pulls it out against Texas Tech and represents Jersey. Uh, they look really strong. And if Carrington can t- continue to take great care of the ball, I think that's promising for Seton Hall moving forward. How about UNC Davidson? I feel like this game is on all the time, every year, and I kind of look forward to it every year. And, you know, I just want to give a shout out to my, my guys, AJ, Hank, and uh, I know that they'll be watching this game. They're big Davidson fans. And I know that every year they kind of put this aside and make this a must-watch TV. To be honest, you know, we, we always hope that, like, the little guy has a shot here. And I think the biggest thing to look out for here, is anybody else looking forward to the, the May and Aldridge matchup here? I think that matchup is going to be awesome. Both of those guys are putting up big numbers as, like, kind of stretch fours or small forwards or, or whatever, you know, 
position you want to give them. They're both averaging over 20 points a game and balling out big time. They're both uh, put in uh, successful positions by their coaches, and their teams really count on them for all of those points every single game. So I'm really looking forward to the matchup of Aldridge and May in this particular game. I mean, I, I think we're all leaning towards UNC, but you know Davidson's going to be efficient offensively, uh, and you know Coach McKillop always puts out an unbelievable game plan for his players and puts his players in success- successful positions. Um, so UNC Davidson, we're leaning one way. Obviously, we're going to lean UNC, but I think the the, the May Aldridge uh, matchup is really worth looking forward to and really intriguing. I think another game to pay attention to coming up uh, later on this weekend over the weekend has to be Creighton Gonzaga. I mean, it's going to be out in Spokane, and it's going to be against two ranked teams and and two teams that are really efficient offensively. Here's my loose feel on this, just off the cuff here. I think on the perimeter, I think these two teams are going to match up really well. You know, you got Kyrie Thomas and and, and Foster for Creighton um, that are going to be terrors on the wing. But then I think Perkins and Melson... Uh, are, are, are going to be a matchup with them okay. Where I think the difference is going to be is I think the difference is going to be the Gonzaga bigs inside, uh, uh, Jakob Larson, uh, Jonathan Williams, who went off against Florida, and, and Rui Hachimura, Killian Tilly. I think those got four guys, one of those four or two of those four are going to have impactful games and be the difference in this game and give Gonzaga like the 12, 13-ish point win, and that'll be because... Tilly has those 12 or 13 points. So I'm looking forward to that matchup. I wouldn't be surprised if one or both of those teams go over, goes over 100 again. I mean, that Gonzaga-Florida game was insane. Wichita State and Baylor. This game is taking place in Texas. So I think Wichita State is uh, behind it a little bit here. You know that they're going to come in and play a little bit angry coming off the loss against Notre Dame. And you know that Baylor is also going to have a little chip on their shoulder after falling and losing their last game to Xavier. So I think that both of these teams coming in off a loss makes this game a little bit more intriguing. If I'm leaning one way, I think I'm going to lean Wichita State just because they're of their uh, talent on the perimeter. I think that the length is going to be a problem for Baylor uh, on the perimeter, and I also think that Wichita's bigs match up with Baylor's bigs. If Jolo can go off and be really impactful on the defensive end and the offensive end, then I think Baylor has a chance. But let's lean Wichita State here. Another game, great game in Texas. How about USC and SMU? I know SMU is going to be a little bit undersized here, and USC is playing unbelievably well. Maybe perhaps at this point they'll get Melton back. Who knows? It's a whole nother, a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. Perhaps Mike, Mike and I will get into that next time when we get together. But I think this game is interesting, and I think if USC can win this game after coming off the Texas A&M loss, that might right the ship for them. But I'm going to tell you, be careful. I kind of am liking SMU in the way that they're playing their positionless basketball again. Uh, love Shake Milton. I think that he's going to give them problems on the perimeter. And I think that they're going to try to isolate some of those USC bigs on the SMU smalls. Ball handlers, I think that's going to be an issue. And I think the last game, of course, we got to pay attention to is one of the biggest rivalries in our sport, Cincinnati and Xavier. Mike and I were lucky enough to talk to... Uh, both beat writers for Xavier and Cincinnati, and they were both had this game on their schedule, circled in Sharpie. It's kind of like a road game for Cincy. It's almost like their first road game of the season. And this game is always, always a battle. It's always tight. It's always just like the, the, the angst and, and the, the urgency uh, can be felt through the television in this game. So I'm totally looking forward to this game. Uh, Mike picks Cincinnati for the Final Four. 
and I picked Xavier for the Final Four. So this is another kind of showdown between our two teams that we picked for the Final Four, much like Wichita State and Notre Dame. So, I mean, we have that kind of riding on it as well. Perhaps Mike and I will do a little uh, wager for a beverage on this game at some point. But I got to tell you, this Xavier team is really special, and they're going to have the best player on the floor in Trayvon Blewett. I'm going to lean towards Xavier. However, I mean, you can't be surprised at anything that happens during this game. So, I mean, let's let's as college basketball fans, let's embrace this game and really enjoy it because you know Cincy has a whole bunch of seasoned vets that are unafraid of the big moment and will guard the guard you on every possession and value the ball on offense. And you know Xavier is going to do something similar and try to be a little bit more creative on offense. So I, I, I'm totally looking forward to this matchup. And, and as college basketball fans, let's embrace it, hug it, and, and just watch every minute of it and enjoy it. So, you know what? Thank you, Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. We just wanted to make sure we give a couple of thank yous and a couple of ahoys out there. We just want to say a nice thank you to our reviewers on iTunes. If you like what you're listening to, please don't be afraid to give the Screen the Screener podcast a nice positive review out there on iTunes. To be honest, like Mike and I will check it like every week and every week or so, like we make sure that we give somebody a shout out and we're going to give Bracketologist 3 a shout out. Thank you so much. Quote, this podcast is one of the best out there. Special podcast, like listening to two college basketball junkies. This is for you. Great insight. Great podcast, relatable, different, and fun. Not afraid to go away from the norm, yet still provide some great info as well. Thank you. Cheers. Salancha. Gratulatia. So thankful for having our listeners. If you like what you're listening to, follow the podcast at SVS Podcast on Twitter. Hit us up. Give us a follow. Uh, love to interact with you guys. And also, if you're curious about a couple things and want to contribute something or you, you have a comment, uh, hit us up on email, sdspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, Mike and I will definitely get back to you if you have something to comment on. So thank you, listeners out there, and uh, we hope you like what you're listening to. Mike and I are working hard to try to give you some cool stuff that you guys can dive into and um, enjoy the games this weekend because we got a nice another slate of games. Thank you again, uh, listeners out there. We are always humbled by your kind words and your positive vibes that you send our way. I'm addicted to the appetite